My name is Michael Darbuz. I have the joy of serving as right now a resident in church planting residency with the Risen Collective. And so as I was sharing, this is the second time that I've been able to stand before Risen North and share the truth of God's word. And I'm truly honored and and sincerely humbled. You know, the first time it could be an accident, you know, when, uh, when you're invited. But when you're invited back, it means at least you didn't say anything heretical. <clears throat> and so I'm grateful to, uh, to be able to, to come back and even jump in to the series that this family is walking through. You know, sometimes you do standalone sermons, but to be invited to come and to preach uh, through a series uh, it's genuinely and sincerely humbling. I was served as a pastor, a local lead pastor for two years and uh, to open up the pulpit for the people of God to be fed, it's no small thing. So thank you, Sean, for trusting that God uses people, uh, broken people to preach his great gospel. And so we'll be in Galatians chapter three, uh, looking at verses one through 14. If you have a Bible or a device that you use to access the scriptures, I encourage you to pull that out and find your spot. Uh, don't be embarrassed to look at the table of contents. It's there for a reason, right? Just flip to the front, find the page number, uh, find Galatians in the New Testament. We're going to, in just a moment, read through verses 1 through 14 and look to, if the Lord should say the same, uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, unpack this passage and then uh, prayerfully be able to practically apply it to our lives today. Uh, but before we dive into chapter three, I just want to give a quick overview of chapters one and two. I'm not sure where you jumped in on the series. And so we look at chapter one of Galatians and Paul is pointing out the problem that's being experienced in the churches in Galatia. And we see in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Uh, we learned that there were some Christian Jews uh, biblical scholars called Judaizers who uh, believed in salvation through Christ and believed even that Gentiles can be saved through accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. However, they were adding a little bit more to uh, salvation through grace uh, in Christ Jesus. They were saying that the Gentiles also needed to be circumcised and they needed to obey the commandments of Moses. And Paul saw this as a significant problem as we will see why in just a little bit. And in chapter 2, Paul goes on to uh, point out his position in this matter. If it's Christ plus circumcision plus commandments, or if it's Christ alone, and Paul tells us that it's Christ and Christ alone, we see in verse 16b, uh, in order to be justified, which is made right with God, by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because the works of the law by the works of the law no one will be justified so Paul believed that it was Christ and Christ alone no additions you don't need to add anything to the grace of God in Jesus Christ and now what we'll see in chapter 3 is Paul is going to press into the problem 
and into the position that he takes. And my prayer is that when we're done with our time in chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, that we would have confidence in Christ and Christ alone. So allow me to take a moment to read Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14, because the word of God is good all by itself. Galatians chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Moses believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So again, as we saw in chapter one, Paul said he was astonished beside himself could not believe that the churches in Galatia had so quickly strayed away from the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus that they had come to believe in. And we see the manifestation of his astonishment in the first six verses of chapter 3. Paul asked six questions. Two, I believe, were sincere. The other four just seemingly came out of complete shock. Right? Paul says, Who has bewitched you? What happened? Who tricked you into believing another gospel as if there there was one other gospel? Who has tricked you to move away from grace in Christ Jesus? And then he goes on to say, I just have one question because I know what you learned. I taught it to you publicly, he said. Was it by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Was it through the preached word of God in Christ that you came to be saved. And then it was as though Paul, now knowing the answer to the question, just has a moment of shock. Here we see here, he says, are you so foolish? I'm going to give you the MDV version. For those who uh, heard me before, that's the Michael Darbuz version. It's a translation that uh, probably won't ever come out, doesn't need to, but every now and then it just helps me to process the scriptures. 
So when I read this, I think to myself, Paul saying, are you foolish? Like, what are you thinking? What happened? Did you bump your head? See, now many, many of you might not be able to appreciate that, but if you have children, right, then you, you may have asked, I just, just help me to understand. What were you thinking when you did that? It just doesn't make sense. Why would you stray away? And so Paul now hits him with three more questions, just not understanding what were you thinking to walk away from grace and now to try to put your trust and confidence in the flesh. Was it by, did you begin by the spirit or are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is the circumcision what's going to save you or was it Christ? Did you go through all that you went through in vain for nothing? All of that for nothing. You're just going to throw it away. And then that last question is to kind of pose the two parties. Are you going to follow them, the Judaizers, or are you going to follow in the footsteps of Abraham, the man of faith? And then after these questions that Paul just lays out to the church in Galatia, he now goes on to fundamentally dismantle the position of the Judaizers. And we're going to see that in verses 7 through 14. Paul is going to let us know that circumcision will not cut it. He lets us know that the commandments, they will not keep you. And then he's going to drive home this reality that it's Christ and Christ alone. And we need to grab a hold of this truth today because there are a lot of things that are pulling on the heartstrings of the people of God to make us think that there might be just something else that we need. But Christ is all that we need as we have just sung. And so we see in verse 7, as Paul deals with the circumcision aspect of the Judaizers' argument, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, The scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And now this passage here that Paul uh, makes note of comes from Genesis, what we would call chapter 12. In you shall all the nations be blessed. But Abraham also was called righteous because he believed God. And Paul makes that point in verse 6. And now if we don't know the story of Abraham, it might not make sense to us how this point just knocks out the fact that circumcision is not what you need for salvation. So allow me just to tease out a little bit of the two stories that Paul is pointing us to so that we might know that it's Christ only, not Christ plus circumcision. Here in this passage where Paul says, and you shall the nations be blessed. Again, that's Genesis chapter 12. It would do you good and it wouldn't be a waste of your time if you read Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 17 this week. Just to sink, in, sink your teeth into this a little bit more. But just for our sake, for the interest of time, I'm going to do it no justice and just run right over it. But in Genesis chapter 12, we're told of how uh, Abram, actually, he wasn't Abraham just yet. He was in Haran. At this point, he's about 75 years old, and the Lord calls him out of Haran and tells him to go to Canaan, essentially. He's going to send him to a land that he will show him. And the Lord lets Abraham know that I will bless you, and any nation that bless you, they'll be blessed. Anyone who curses you, they will be cursed. And in you shall all the nations be blessed. And this blessing is the blessing of righteousness by faith, not by works. So that's at 75. Now we look at six, verse 6 where Paul says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's in what we would call Genesis chapter 15. 
Here, Abram is now about 85, 86 years old. So this is 11 years after the other passage that uh, Paul had referenced. And so now Abram has rescued Lot from being taken captive by some kings who beat up Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, this is the, uh, the footnotes version. Read it more uh, for yourself later. And now God visits Abram and tells him, I'm going to bless you, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. And Abram looks at God and says, well, yeah, I mean, that's cool, God, but you haven't blessed me with a seed. I don't have a son. And only uh, this servant of mine, Eliezer, is going to take that inheritance. And God looks at Abraham and says, no, I'm going to give you a seed. And then he takes Abram outside and he tells him, look up at the stars and see if you could count them. Because that's how many your descendants are going to be. If you can count the stars, you will know how many descendants you will have. And so Abram, now this is where the scriptures tell us, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what does any of that have to do with circumcision? Great question. Thank you for asking it. In Genesis, what we would call chapter 17, Abram is now 99 years old, the scriptures would have us to know. And it was then that God gave Abram the seal of the sign of the circumcision. So this is 24 years after being told that in you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed or the world will be blessed. This was now 11 years after, if my math is right, what's 85, 99, take that away, 14 years? Good, I'm I'm preaching, I'm not mathematical, You, you got me. 85, now 99, it's that many years, but 14 years or so afterwards, that now the circumcision comes. So what Paul is having us to know, the blessing of righteousness through faith came long before. It was spoken way before circumcision. And Paul makes that very plain in Romans chapter 4. Looking at verses 9 through 12, Paul says, Is this blessing, the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised i.e. the Gentiles, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul, in just a few verses, for those who understood the story of Abraham, it would be clear, Christ plus circumcision not the equation, Christ and Christ alone. And now Paul takes the next step, and now he's going to dismantle the argument of the commandments. And this is the kind of teaching that got Paul in trouble. People just didn't like Paul teaching this way, but it was because they didn't fully understand the scriptures themselves. Paul says in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 3, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now, Paul is not saying that the law is a curse. He's saying those who rely on the law for righteousness, in other words, for those who are trying to earn the right to be right with God, you're under a curse. And the reason why is because if you're going to present yourself as holy to God in your own strength and by your own works, then you're going to have to fulfill the law flawlessly. That's what the scriptures tell us. And Paul here was quoting Deuteronomy. He said, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you do not do them all, you're cursed. And so if we're relying, this is what Paul is saying, on our own works of keeping the law to now go before God and say, hey, Lord, you owe me heaven. And actually, I'm going to take that room right there. I like it. Now, I know Jesus had it all set up, but I'm going to need him to move over because I nailed it. You can't do it. Right? And so Paul is making that very clear. And so Paul does not have a problem with the Mosaic law, with the commandments that were given to the people of God by Moses at all. And we'll see that in just a moment. The problem was that the Judaizers were trying to make the law do something it was never intended to do. They were trying to say that salvation came through the law or through the keeping of the law. And the law will not save you. The law was only meant to show you, to show you something special. Let's look at Romans chapter 7 and see what the law was meant to do. It wasn't meant to save you. It was meant to show you. What then shall we say? Romans 7, starting at the seventh verse. That the law is sin by no means. I like the way my wife says it, so I guess we'll also have to make a JDV, the Jomar Darboo's version. She would say, absolutely not. I can't do it justice, and if I called her up and asked her to do it, she would be completely mortified. So that's the best that it's going to be for today. <clears throat> Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So in other words, what Paul is saying, the law wasn't meant to save you. The law was meant to show you that you're a sinner with your nasty self. Right? And you need to be cleaned up. I didn't say it. It's in the word. Maybe not quite that way. It's the MDV verb. But you, you get what I'm saying. It was meant to show you what sin is. It wasn't meant to save you. Let me read a little bit further so you can see that that is actually the same with your messy self. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So in other words, again, if you remember being a kid or you've seen some kids lately, you know how it is. The moment you say don't, it's like do not. The not just drops. Do not touch the stove. You mean, I just said do not. Right? Do not. Right? And so the law came and it was all these do nots and, and do it this way and all the do nots. We just decide, well, I mean, let me do and so Paul said, if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't have known how, how nasty and sinful I was. I would not have known that I needed a savior. So the law wasn't meant to save us. It was meant to show us that we needed to be saved. And thank God that he finishes the good work which he began. And we see here in verse 12 of Romans chapter 7 that Paul wasn't saying the law was a curse. And we need to make sure that we understand this. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. 
Did, did that which is good then bring death to me? Absolutely not. By no means, depending on which translation you're reading. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So now I will come to the place where I know, Lord, I need you. I cannot do it in my own strength. I'm trying to work this thing out. I'm trying to earn my right to be considered holy, righteous, and just. But the more I try, the more I recognize that I can't. And so it brings me to the point of desperate dependence. God, I need a savior. I've tried to do it in my own strength, and it's just not working out. And Paul lets us know that this is the way it was always, always intended to be. He goes on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, almost to state it as if it were the obvious. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Well, how is that obvious? Well, see, you have to again understand what Paul is doing here. Paul is quoting the prophet Habakkuk, and you can go and read it later, Habakkuk chapter 2 where the prophet was speaking, a mouthpiece for God, he was speaking what thus says the Lord. And so the prophet Habakkuk was not saying what he thought was good. He was simply relaying to the people what God said. And it was the prophet Habakkuk in the Old Testament, while the people of Israel were still under the law, that he went on to say, the righteous shall live by their faith. And so God is not doing a new thing. He always intended for the people of God to be justified by faith and not by works. So now Paul fundamentally dismantles the position of the Judaizers. Circumcision, not going to happen. You're not going to come to Christ through circumcision. By keeping the law flawlessly, if you even could, you're not going to present yourself righteous before God. But I've come to the place where I've recognized that I am sinful. The law has shown me that. The more I try and do right, the less right I seem to do. What will I do? Well, that's what Paul tells us in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This word redeemed can sometimes get lost because it, it's, uh, it seems to be a church word for some reason. But all it means is rescued. That Christ has rescued us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse himself. And now Paul, again, he's not saying that the law is a curse. What he's saying is that Christ has rescued us from our inability to keep the law and be justified through the work of the law by becoming a curse for us, and that doesn't mean that Christ lived sinful. It's actually the exact opposite. And Peter unpacks that a little bit for us to let us know how did Christ become a curse for us and that become a good thing so that we do not have to try to make it in on our own strength. Peter tells us in chapter 2, verse 22 through 24, he being Jesus Christ committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness in him. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus was able to become the curse for us by first flawlessly living out the law. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus is the only person who walked on the face of the earth that could stand before the Father and said, nailed it. And instead, he said, nail me so that I can die for them. And so he took on all of our sins and the sins of all the world. And only he can do that because he was perfect. And he became the payment that we could never be. And so now he hung on a cross. And that's the scripture that Paul was referencing in the Old Testament. Curses anyone who hangs on a tree. He hung on the cross and bore our sins so that we might now die to sin. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I don't have to go back and try to figure it out on my own. I just come to Christ. He rescued me. He rescued me from me and from me trying to pay the price myself that I could never pay. And he became the perfect payment on my behalf and says to the father, I know their debt is insurmountable. I'll pick up the tab. I'll cover it. It's on me. And Paul goes on to tell us in verse 14 why Jesus did this. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, righteousness by faith, not in works, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to sinners, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, for a lot of us here today, this is not new news. It's still absolutely amazing, fabulous, great, and exciting news. It almost seems to do it no justice to call it good news. Just the greatest understatement of a lifetime, but you get the idea. This is good news that we are familiar with. But this is also true for the audience that Paul was writing to. They were familiar with this good news. And Paul looks at them and says, well... If you know it so well, why are you living it so poorly? Why are you trying to add to the gospel that you have come to believe in? Right? And so for all of us who know the good news of Jesus Christ and have accepted this gift that we call grace, the unmerited favor of God, that's a question that we might need to sit in today. If I know it so well, yeah, Michael, thank you for that great summary of the gospel. And I know that, yep, no, nope, circumcision, not going to do it. Commandments, nope, Christ and Christ alone. Yeah, no, that was a good, good job, thanks. He, he didn't say anything heretical. We'll go ahead and go home now. But the question that we might need to sit in is if we know it so well, why do we live it so poorly? Why is it that when times get hard, we feel like we just need to work harder? Why is it that even though we know the concept of grace, we still feel like we need to be great if we're going to be good enough for God? Why is it that when I make a mistake, understanding grace, 
I tell the Lord, you can hold on to the billy club. I'm going to beat myself down. Michael, you good for nothing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I tell my kids when they start sounding like they're speaking ill of themselves, that you can't speak to my child that way. Apologize to yourself. <clears throat> Makes them feel silly. I bet you they stop saying stuff like that out loud, at least in my presence. But that should be the same for us. Whoa, whoa. You're a child of the king. Apologize to yourself. You can't speak to yourself that way. Jesus died for you. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Know it good, then act like it. May we live it out if we know it to be true. The challenge that I found myself with this week as I was sitting in the word was this question that Paul opened up the chapter with, though. Who has tricked you? And that's the challenge and the question that I feel to pose to the body of Christ today. Who has tricked you? If we know the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus, who has tricked you to believe that it's Christ plus circumcision plus commandments? Who's tricked you to stray away from the truth that you've come to know and believe in? And you might be thinking, well, no, it's not circumcision or commandments for me. But it's something else that we're adding to Christ. Or what is it that, that you've added to Christ? You see, before it looks like I'm, I'm speaking at you, I'm speaking to myself. Because it's very easy to start to think that there's something that I need to do to help Christ out. And as somebody who feels called by God to plant a ministry... It's real easy to start to think of, okay, I got to do this fundraising. I got to try and gather this initial team. I got to file this paper. I got to do all these things. And then to get to the place, and maybe you've done it, maybe you haven't, but to feel like you're so busy that you don't have time for God, right? That the first thing to go when it gets really hard is our quiet time. The very thing that we so desperately need is the one thing that we seem to not have enough time for. I'm surprised, and this may not be you, right? I'm, I'm just visiting. I'm just passing through, right? If it was Sean saying this, maybe you should take it a little bit more personally. So you might be able to let just, just let this roll right off your back. But before you do, just listen closely because it might be you, right, to where you start to think that you are needed. I know because we like to feel needed. But it's probably, for me at least, the most comforting truth to know that God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. He chooses. He desires to partner with us for a work that he can do so much better by himself. But he wants to commune with us, and he wants us to commune with him. But we keep on wrestling like there's something else that we need. Right? And so that quiet time, again, it starts to fade to the side. And then we start running and spinning our wheels, trying to figure it out. The saying, we burn the candle from both ends. We wake up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, as though God does not still sit on the throne. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's not even Christ plus Michael Darboos. No, it's Christ and Christ alone. And listen, if you know this and if you and I believe this to be true, then what do we do? What do we do when times get hard? Lord, 
I need you. What do we do when, when the to-do list starts piling up? All right, I need to go and pray. It surprises me how many people get offended. I don't understand it completely, but I try to meet people where they are. But how people get offended, and I'm talking about people who believe the gospel. When I recommend to them, and sometimes maybe a little bit strongly, that you read your word. I'm a pastor. What did you expect me to say when you came to me with your problem? Let's read the word of God together, and let's go to the only one who can meet our needs. Yeah, but I don't have time. You don't have time? It looks like, at least, I'm going to go out here on a limb real quick, but it looks like everybody at least made the time to get themselves together to come out and worship together. Right? And I'm just going to, again, believe that you actually may have brushed your teeth and gargled this morning. Mask, at least in this case, it helps us out a little bit. You know, it stops, it blocks the smell if you didn't. But I believe that if you thought about it, you're like, let me brush my teeth, let me wash my face, let me iron my clothes. Some people I know don't iron, but I'm not going to call them out today. They, they know, they take it, you got it, yes, all right. You know, but <clears throat> we do all of this to get prepared to go out in public. But if we haven't spent time in prayer, we're not ready to go out. If we have not fed our souls with Jesus to remember the reason why we live, move, and have our being, then even though you may look good in your outfit, you're exposed. And you're going to be easily handled and taken advantage of by every wind and wave and false doctrine. But if we do not believe that Jesus is all we need, then we will add to that, okay, I need Jesus, but I also need this job. I need Jesus, but I also need this vaccine. I need Jesus, but I also need filling your blank. And I'm not saying the job is a problem. I'm not saying the vaccine is a problem. I know people got different positions. Pray about it. You know, but whatever it is, <clears throat> whatever it is, we look to add something to the peace, the joy, and the hope that's promised to us in Christ and Christ alone. It's not Jesus plus this job, plus these finances, plus my kids acting right, plus this relationship getting better, plus, no, it's just Jesus. He's all we need to have the peace, the joy, the hope, the love that will satisfy our souls. So I ask the question, what have we been adding to Christ that has caused us to run to something or someone other than Jesus. And don't be so quick to think about your friend who probably really could use this word. I've been spending the entire week, hours, just digging into this word. And the Lord has convicted, corrected, encouraged, and comforted me in this word. And so I'm not saying that I'm better than you, but I'm also not going to sit here and look at you and say, you're better than me. If the Lord could correct me and grow me through this word, then I believe that this is a word for all of us. The reminder that it's not Jesus plus. And allow me just to put this one thing out here, and then I'll prayerfully close this out in a way that might encourage you enough to want to actually live this thing out. But we do need to be mindful of the things that pull us away from Christ, right? For Paul's audience, it was the Judaizers pulling them away from Christ 
through circumcision and the commandments. But there's a strong pull on us as well. It's the culture. It tugs on us. And it does a really good job. Marketers get paid millions of dollars to make us feel like I need that. Listen, for my younger people, you do not need the next iPhone. Stop. <laughs> I was looking over there. They, they, <clears throat> they're like, oh, shoot. They try to, they don't, don't worry. I, I, just, I just try and work the room a little bit, and you were just the next section, so I'm not, not you all, right? <laughs> you. <clears throat> you know, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It's marketing does a great job. I need to have. Oh, I need the upgrade. And, and it's, the iPhone is not an evil thing. The upgrade is not altogether bad, but it's that thought that I need it. And it's that thought that I'm waiting on that to finally, right? It's that thought that when I get there, when this happens, when this comes through, then. No, God is the same yesterday, today, right here, right now, and forevermore. And so if Christ is our joy, our hope, our peace, then we should have it right here, right now. Yes, in the middle of an Arctic blast with, burst, uh, with pipes bursting. Yes, in the middle of a pandemic that seems to be going on for real forever. You know, in the middle of all of it, God is still present. He's still real, and he's still more than enough. Now, I just need two people to just say amen real quick so I can feel like, okay, you see what I'm saying? I just needed that. Because that was blessing my soul and I could not say amen to myself. That would seem a little bit like, like the last time when I slapped myself on the butt. I was told maybe that was a little bit too much. So, <clears throat> so I just need somebody else to give me an amen here real quick. Because it's the truth. And, and I believe that I've been sent on assignment just to remind you. I'm not here to teach you anything new. Just to remind you that Jesus is all that you need. We're not waiting for tomorrow. We're not waiting for next year. We're not waiting for the promotion. Christ and Christ alone. So what have you been adding to him? What has the culture convinced you that you need? You need a man. You need a woman. You need kids. You need that degree. What do you need? And be real. Be real. You know, this this is... It's just my heart. So I'm going to be genuine. Uh, we'll see if I get invited back a third time. But <clears throat> my heart aches, and I ask myself this question every Saturday. I really do. You can ask Joe Mar later every Saturday without fail for the past three years since I've been pastoring. What's the point? And I don't mean that from the sense that worshiping corporately is pointless. That's not what I mean. But my heart gets heavy because I feel like at times that we just go through the motions, right? And, <clears throat> and church is a check, right? It's church plus. And so, so we do our good service, right? We, we worked the law. Lord, I gave you an hour. I mean, come on, really think about it. An hour? God has given you 168 hours in the week. Do you really think you did God a favor by coming to church for an hour? No. 
Do you think that God only wants an hour from you? No. And so my heart aches because sometimes I feel like when we walk away from here, we forget that what this is supposed to be is the fueling station for us to be able to go into the rest of the week fired up to live for God. Right? God wants your Sunday afternoon and evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and let's do it all again on Sunday morning. Right? But he wants it all. And he deserves it all. And so I, I feel that weight and that pain that we might walk away from here and say, oh, yeah, that's a good word, but not do anything with it. And good news not applied is worthless, at least for you, if you don't apply it. So my prayer is that you would apply this today. And so allow me to get into your living room and, and sit on your good sofa with my shoes on. I'm just going to make myself at home. What is it that you need to let go? <clears throat> what is it that you're putting the word need in front of other than Jesus? And I challenge you under the power of the Holy Spirit, let it go. It is. And maybe it's not for a lifetime that you need to let it go, but for a moment. And again, just like to be practical, because I believe the scriptures are about the nuts and bolts, not about the theory. For some, it's a television show. Yeah, I know, trust me, Sean told me nothing about anybody's personal life, so if it feels really personal for you right now, just that's between you and Jesus. But it's a television show. Listen, <clears throat> I don't watch TV. But it's not because I believe that TV is evil. So I'm not saying cancel your Netflix, but if the Holy Spirit is, cancel your Netflix. But what I've learned is we need to watch what we watch, right? Because everything has impact. And so you can't tell me that you're continually, repeatedly watching a show that publicizes and that makes fun of and makes light of the things that God calls debauchery, horrific, sinful, that the wrath of God is coming for. And you're going to tell me that you watch that every week for an hour and that's not going to impact the way that you think and feel. You can't tell me, I know, let me look over on this side, I know <clears throat> that you think Instagram is great, but it's not as good as you think. It becomes a disease. You find yourself scrolling endlessly because there are endless things to look at and see. And next thing you know, you look up and it's three hours later, you're like, man, I've been on Instagram for a minute. Where's the day gone? But then when it's time to get in the Word, you know, I just get so tired because the Word is so deep. No. That's not what it is. So let Instagram go. Cut social media out. Again, maybe it's not for a lifetime, but maybe it's for a season. But if we do not release the things that are distracting us from focusing on Christ and Christ alone, then we're going to continue to feel that pull. Jesus plus nothing else. There's only one that you need. And the beauty of the gospel is he makes himself available. He says, if you seek him, you will find him. Make him your heart's delight. Make him your deepest desire. And I promise you, you will not leave dissatisfied. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. The gospel 
that has been preached to you. Grace in Christ, that's all you need. You need nothing else and you need no one else. May our confidence be in Christ, in Christ alone. You pray with me. Father, your word is a treasure trove. We could spend a lifetime mining it and still barely scrape the surface. So, Lord, we recognize that the understanding and the application of your truth is not dependent on man, but it's desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts and through our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move, that your spirit would sweep through this place, that we would not leave here uh, taking the truth personally in the sense that we are not good enough, but that we would recognize that Christ is more than enough and that we would take that next step of faith to communicate that we do not need anyone or anything but Jesus. Father, may you do that in and through us so that we might leave here this day changed, that it wouldn't just be a check, but it would be another step on a meaningful journey with Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen.